Welcome to You Hair Big Girls Attack on Titan podcast. I'm Mom Taco. Hi, and I'm Luna. And this is our chapter 131 bonus episode because we just can't ever stop with one, right? When it comes to our anniversary. That's true. That's true. And I think calling this a bonus episode is actually sort of misleading because in a lot of ways, it's a full-blown podcast. I mean, it's like part two of our previous podcast, I'd say. Part two of of one. So that works. (laughs) So the format is actually going to be pretty similar to our first 131 podcast. We've invited our past guests to submit chapter impressions. We have a few of those. And with the series ending sooner rather than later, we also invited a few of our potential future guests to submit their chapter impressions as well. And then, of course, we also have bonus clips from the two recording sessions that we had because experience tells us that you do not get a group of Attack on Titan fans together that the conversation does not go off the rails. So I'm looking forward to letting Luna listen to some of those because she was not able to be in on those sessions and I'm sure she has comments. I know I wasn't able to uh, be in on the session uh, with Humble, Runelai, Titan Jaeger, and uh, Sephora because unfortunately I had work. So uh, I have listened to them a little bit beforehand, and uh, let's say there is plenty left to say from my end. (laughs) Well, let's kick things off with chapter impressions from our chapter 129 guest, my friend, the lovely and talented Grimheim. Okay, so I'm only doing this because Momtaku asked me to, and she's always so sweet and lovely, I couldn't resist. So, hi, I'm Grimheim. I am, I think, best known for my unconditional love for Kishadis. Rest in peace. <laughs> so, from all overall impressions, I enjoyed this chapter. It was very intense. I appreciate that we have seen the rumbling, as I've found out that some people doubt that we would see the rumbling, which is kind of unbelievable to me because it was so clear that we would see it so it was uh, very thrilling to see i don't know if this chapter would help me to understand Aaron better or to sympathize with him i guess i'm just way past this point <laughs> but it was just i guess a very interesting characterization i don't think too much about Aaron honestly i had a focus on another character but since that character is gone i guess i need to shift that now for the rest of the series what i actually liked about this chapter uh, was that one little panel of color, which is quite unimportant on its own, I guess, because it's literally just how Aaron kind of reflected how his mother would maybe react or what she would say, which is kind of obvious, I guess, what she would say. But this was interesting to me because, A, if it comes to death characters, I always said that I want Carla to be back because I want her to scold Aaron and maybe talk some sense into him and maybe all of this wouldn't have happened like it did. (laughs) But uh, more so, what I really liked about it is because it made me think of Shardis' last moments. I mean, I guess at this point, everything reminds me of Shardis, so that's nothing too unusual, but that we never had Shardis' thoughts about Aaron or the Jaeger family in general, even though these people had so much impact in his life and that we never saw his last final thoughts about them or what he would like what he would think of himself uh now that he basically failed to protect Aaron and whatnot so I don't know I kind of would like this panel kind of made me wish that we would have seen a little bit more of that and now after after a couple of months I do kind of regret that 
key shadows uh, died like that, but that's for another time, I guess. For the artwork, because uh, I cannot stop talking about the artwork. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel that Isayama has, as of recently, really enjoyed making double spread pages. I don't know if we had so many double spread pages in the chapters before, but in like the la latest chapters, like maybe the last two or three chapters, I'm not too sure, we had like so many amazing double spread pages of the rumbling and the environment and the landscape. And I love them. And I'm so glad that he involved all of them because they all look freaking amazing and very impactful. The artwork looks very good, very clean. So from an artistic standpoint that I can give, I think it's amazing. And uh, I guess final thoughts would be regarding Feskun or Ramsey or whatever. I didn't even know who Feskun is. Was uh, I guess that's him, right? That's Ramsey. I'm not too. Uh, <laughs> if that's wrong, then well, whatever. But <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a gruesome death panel when we saw these two bodies squished flat on the ground after the Titan stomped on him. That was that was gruesome. Yeah, looking forward to the next couple of chapters and thank you for having the patience with me here and uh, thank you for having me on the podcast again. I love Grim. I love how she said, like, I'm only doing this for Momtaku. Of course, <laughs> and it, and she called me sweet and lovely. So I love Grim even even without those words because she's just <laughs> such a, a like a just a burst of sunshine. And I'm also glad we asked her because she brought up Carla, and I don't think anybody else did. True. She called it an insignificant moment. You know, I would love to think that it wasn't. You know, Aaron remembering his mom. What would she think? I It was powerful but brief. But I kind of agree with her that I, I of all the dead characters to come back who might make a change, Carla's the one I would most like to smack Aaron. So. <laughs> Are you still holding on to the theory that he might have pushed Dina to eat his mom? Guided her? I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think he did. But I mean, if he did, whatever. Okay. Well, I mean, if this is true, like that she might play a part in like stopping Aaron because she would be so disappointed in him even sure. more so I'm guessing if uh Aaron did have Dina eat her <laughs> I also appreciate when we get Grimm's perspective too because she's also an artist and she's working on her her own um original manga so I always think it's it's Fun to get the little details from her. And we have another artist coming up later, Vlax from the SCNK, the coloring group. Mm. Um, we also had him submit a clip. So you'll hear that one soon. Okay. Uh, our next clip is from a guest we had on on episode uh, 115. And that is Eric. Eric uh, was part of the Cast on Titan podcast, uh, which was the podcast that the subreddit had back in the day. The sanctioned subreddit <laughs> podcast, unlike yes. us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the one that actually got like a link in the menu. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Not like us. <laughs> mm. Anyway, Eric was no kind shade. enough. <laughs> Eric was kind enough to send in a clip with his chapter thoughts. So let's give him a listen. So chapter 131 of Attack on Titan was genuinely jaw-dropping visually it is like these last two chapters are probably the two most beautiful chapters that is well beautiful might be the wrong word considering what's 
what all those uh, big double spreads consist of, but you know what I'm saying, the art is fantastic. The biggest thing against this chapter is the fact that it doesn't really stand on its own as a self-contained story, like a lot of really, really good chapters do. It doesn't really have this beginning and then an end. It's a lot of stuff that builds off of what happened before without reaching a definite conclusion to any of it. Um, but if we're just looking at it in terms of the overall narrative of Attack on Titan, this is one of the greatest chapters of all time, so I am very tempted to give it a 10 out of 10. Without a doubt, my favorite part of this was the insight into Aaron's character, because I think it's one of those things where it's like everyone was waiting for it, waiting for insight into Aaron's character, but it wasn't what any of us really expected, I think. What I love in fiction is when you have some sort of sentence or speech or some whatever that is so powerful and deeply thematic, but in a way that no one was anticipating. No one was thinking about this dynamic of, you know, is the existence of these people on the outside convenient for Aaron? Like, how, how, does, how does he feel about them as this force purely in terms of how they affect him? And he's capable of seeing them as something else, but the effect that they have on him and the way he was planning on living his life and the way he now has to plan on living his life or like, you know, the options available to him is a very real part of the human experience that he would be going through. But I don't think many people were considering that when thinking about his motivations. You know, we have these like galaxy brain Chad Aaron memes and talking about, uh, you know, what he had to do, the ethics of the situation. But Aaron was always a really emotional character and that really brought this back to the forefront uh, and it just made him so compelling and interesting, and unlike anything else that I've read in a story. Um, I don't really think it's fair to call him a protagonist at this point. I think Aaron is very much the antagonist at this point in the story. Uh, at the very least, from like a narrative perspective, that's how he's being handled, even if you agree with him. And he's probably one of the greatest antagonists of all time. I was planning on giving it a 9 out of 10 when I went into this, but honestly, just 10 out of 10 chapter. 10 out of 10 art, 10 out of 10 theming, just 10 out of 10 Aaron. Chad Aaron, please step on me. Uh, yeah, this this was fantastic. Attack on Titan is better than it's ever been. Haters don't know what they're talking about. This is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I feel like standing and applauding. Like... Really? Uh-huh. Yeah, you would never guess that Eric is a former podcast person the way he talks. Okay, that was sarcasm. I don't know if it came across as sarcasm, but he's so he clearly... <laughs> he's He's clearly experienced and good at this. And always very... Like, when in the Discord, the podcast Discord, Eric is always, like, so positive. He genuinely loves this series. I always enjoy um, that this month is one where I get to agree with him. I don't have to, you know, be like Debbie Downer to his optimism. I love, though, how he worded it. You know, are they convenient for Aaron? Because not going to lie, that's kind of like what it sounds like. I know people have different feelings about what Aaron meant by being disappointed, but are they convenient for Aaron is a funny way to put it. I mean, that's that's part of it, right? What it came down to. This yeah, chapter. definitely. So, but I mean, I love that he's like, oh, nobody considered this. Yes, because it's stupid as hell. <laughs> oh, I mean, you, 
<laughs> it is. Come on. Like, of all the motivations to have, like saying, oh, I don't like that there's being other, like there's people in the world outside of these walls. You, you know, they were, the uh, the entire world was meant for me and me and my friends all to right. explore. I have, Come on. I have an interesting, okay, I got an Anon on Tumblr who suggested, I would, and I don't, you probably haven't read my blog, so you have no idea what this is about. But they suggested that when Aaron said he was disappointed at the existence of people outside the walls, what he meant was that he was disappointed to find that there were good people outside the walls because he'd built everyone up to being monsters. And knowing what he had to do, knowing the course he was going to take, the existence of good people disappointed him in the sense that, you know, it devastated him, that he was going to have to kill them too. So there is a very... (laughs) No, I didn't get that from this chapter. This chapter was like saying he he wanted to obtain that freedom. He wasn't disappointed that there were like also good people. He only found that out much later, right? That there were good people. By the time he'd met Ramsey... Yeah, that's when he... Yeah, but he's reflecting on like when I first find out there were other people... So that's, it's not about him being disappointed that there are good people. I think that he's conf- more, yeah, it's harder for him now right. to do, to carry on with his plan because there, you know, the world isn't this, you know, this one big evil source that's against all Paradisians. That's not the case. I like the idea though that seeing the gray, the, you know, that there are good people made it much more difficult. So I do agree with that. Yeah, let's... He knew, he knew I, when he kissed Historia's hand what he was going to do. And at the time, he was able to paint them all with the same brush. But once the volunteers arrived and um, he got to meet he went to Marley. people who genuinely, yeah. yeah, I thought it was a... That's true. Doesn't really change the fact that I don't think it's like a great plot point. Eric was like, yeah, Aaron is so different from all the other protagonists um, he was different enough without this. <laughs> I've heard other people express that, though. I was watching Anime Uproar's videos. I had never heard of an- How did I never hear of Anime Uproar before? But I was watching um, his videos. Okay, yeah. And he's also in the camp that Aaron is right up there with Lelouch, like Yagami Guts from Berserk, you know, like it has secured his place. I mean, he's definitely an interesting protagonist, but I wouldn't say he's that this is what makes him rank up there. Also, you know, Eren is still the protagonist who is doing bad things. Like, like Yagami is the protagonist who is doing bad things. So, I would say his main antagonist might still be Reiner. It's just about, like, who has the most focus in the story and who is working against them. It's not about good or evil protagonist or antagonist. And I know that's going to come up later as well, <laughs> so I, I'm saying it now. Antagonist is not the same as villain. There. <laughs> Our next clip is from my friend Sika, who I know from Twitter. She's a, a regular listener who uh, sometimes live streams her comments as she's listening to the podcast, which I always really enjoy. And I most definitely wanted to get her opinions on chapter 131. So let's listen to Sika. Hey, ladies, it's Sika. Real quick before I jump into my chapter thoughts, I just want to say, Thank y'all for reaching out to me and requesting my thoughts on the chapter. So here's my take on it. I'll start with my rating. I'll give it like a six and a half. Wasn't all that impressed with this chapter, to be honest. 
Doesn't mean I didn't necessarily not like it. I just wasn't impressed like I've been these past couple chapters. This is the lowest rating I've given a chapter in a while. Mainly because, one, we knew the big thing that was going to happen. It's been talked about. It's been led up to. Last chapter ended with it getting ready to happen. Also, just the weight that comes behind the rumbling. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of people being trampled to death. So those are just the rumbling itself, just a big factor in why I guess would break the chapter like I did. Something I did like from the chapter, though, was our shippy little moment that we got on the ship between Armin and Annie. (laughs) I'm a pretty big Annie fan, so I pretty much drink up any content I can get of her, but particularly enjoying the fact that we got some type of emotion out of her, so that was nice. I feel like, you know, who knows if they're going to survive this battle that they're going to, so it was nice to see a little soft moment between the two of them. I don't know how I feel about the placing of their moment, just because it kind of felt to me like it was put there to kind of lighten what's going on in the chapter. I just, I just don't know about the placement of it, but I did enjoy it. Biggest thing for me this chapter was our Emir sighting that we got as Fezkun, Ramsey, whatever we're calling him now, was trampled to death. I am a firm believer, like most, I'm sure, that Yams just doesn't slip a panel in for fun. So the fact that he made us see her means that hopefully she's about to come back into the picture again. Pretty sure we haven't seen her since Paths. And who's to say if Aaron is using her powers the way she wants? I mean, unless they had some telepathic conversation that we just don't know about. Who's really to say he's doing what she wants? So I'm hoping that since we caught a glimpse of her, that means she's about to pop back up in the story. And I would hope that it's to stop Erin. I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe she's going to just look from afar or maybe she's going to finally speak and give him some words of wisdom or something along those lines. But I'm very curious as to see what the point of showing her in a panel was because I know it wasn't just done just because but yeah so overall not too impressed with the chapter but very much so looking forward to what happens next I feel like I say that every chapter but I truly mean that for this next one because something big is about to happen thank y'all very much for, like I said, requesting my take. Thank y'all for creating the podcast and just for all the hard work that I know y'all put in and all the content and rounding up all the guests and just everything y'all do for it. And yeah, happy two year anniversary to you here, big girls. Bye. Aww. <laughs> I'm sure Sika is so used to this whenever anyone – like, I am so charmed by that particular accent. I love that accent. Oh, I, so I was – So as I'm listening to Sika's thoughts, I'm also, like, melting a little bit at <laughs> at the accent, which doesn't distract from what is she's saying. Is this how I imagine your husband used to sound like when he was younger? <laughs> Probably close, yeah. And sometimes myself – like, if I talk to somebody – 
who has a little bit of a more pronounced Southern accent, I just slip into it instantly. (laughs) It's hard for me to listen and not like just immediately go back to my roots as well. (laughs) Uh, But I, okay, I know we've talked about having Sika as guest. I absolutely am grateful for her listening to the podcast, love hearing her thoughts, loved her submission, and really hope we get the chance to talk about a chapter in depth with her. So I don't know if it'll ever happen, but... I really enjoyed it, but I'm surprised she kind of gave the lowest rating we've seen yet. Yeah, which I can, I we see eye to eye on a lot of things. Like she also I thinks Cold is still alive. And <laughs> so I was thinking that Sika is like talking to you, like yeah. or getting your thoughts, but then there's a little like the Annie Armin moment and being like, yeah. like, and that, like she's like the perfect balance of me and you, which is very funny. <laughs> so, but I, uh, yeah, I think in the same sense that I said, well, I expected this to happen. I'm guessing she felt the same way, and that's why, you know, it wasn't ex- exciting. Hence, the low rating for the chapter. I don't think she thought it was a bad chapter, so. No. Well, it's, it kind of feeds back into, I think, what Eric and Rune Lai also said. You know, honestly, not a lot happened. This this was not. Yeah, true. The most exciting thing, I agree, was the wild Ymir appears and, and speculation about what Ymir is going to do. I mean, if you didn't mm. love the Annie Armin moment, that was probably the moment that really got you. Yes. Well, thank you so, so much, Sika, for humoring <laughs> me and putting up with me coming into your Twitter inbox and asking that you do this. I really enjoyed listening to your thoughts about the chapter. Yes, and so did I. Our next clip is from Brienne. We have Brienne to thank, actually, for Sika listening to our podcast, as I uh, recently discovered. So uh, thank you for that, because Sika's podcast thoughts are one of my highlights every month. And Mamtaku asked Brienne to send in a clip as well. Let's have a listen. Let's do it. Hey, Mamtaku and Luna, it's Brienne. First of all, I just want to say congratulations on two years and happy anniversary to the podcast. Uh, I know I've definitely enjoyed it over the last year and a half that I've been listening since I got caught up in the manga. And it has helped me countless times navigate the cluster that the story is at times. And I definitely look forward every month to hearing everyone's ideas and theories and opinions on the month. So I'm also very honored to have been asked to send in a clip. So I am going to just jump right in. General chapter impressions, uh, disappointed but not surprised. Obviously, we got a little bit of a clip at the end of the previous chapter about what we were about to get into. It doesn't make it any easier to watch. This was definitely a hard chapter to read. It just, even if we knew what was going to happen, I feel like maybe we've we've talked ourselves out of it for months, years. Oh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But it's happening. And it it's it's not fun. And Aaron's kind of been telling us he was going to do this for the entire series. So disappointed, but not surprised. I kind of wish she had a trick up his sleeve. I don't know that Aaron is smart enough to have played the long con and tricked everybody and acted like he was going to do this only to not go through with it. So here we are. And Aaron's doing it. He's rumbling the world. And he's trying to explain some things away. I guess he's trying to explain it to himself. It's difficult to see him so remorseful and just completely torn up about it. But at the same time, just going along with his own plan, like somebody held a gun to his head. And then to see it next to 
the panels of him as a child. And I don't know if he's like mentally regressing, if he's trying to repress what's going on. There's, there's a lot of psychological stuff going on there that I am not qualified to comment on, but it's definitely a lot to take in and a lot to process. But yeah, generally disappointed in Aaron's actions, but again, not surprised one bit. I, for one, actually like how we kind of got a juxtaposition between the rumbling and this soft little moment between Armin and Annie that that needed to happen. I don't know if it needed to happen like that, but I think leading into the conversation from paths was something like, oh, look at this crazy thing that's happening up too bad. Now we have to move on to this conversation. But that's definitely something to keep in mind. And their conversation was, it was nice. I'm glad we're kind of finally seeing both sides, you know, coming together and and talking for once about the issues that we're having. That was a nice little moment. And I, I did like, I did like the contrast between that and the first part of the chapter. Last thing on this chapter, Amir, just watching all this stuff go down. I'm just anxious to see what that's about. The first theory that popped in my head was Angel of Death. And I'm like, oh, God, please, let's let's not say that Amir is totally okay with this. So maybe she's got a trick up her sleeve, too. Maybe she's trying to stop it. Who knows? I'm not even going to not even going to try and figure that out. So, yeah, those are my general chapter impressions. I'm really bad with rating chapters, but it was it's pretty up there. Probably a seven or an eight. We'll go with that. So anyway, thank y'all very much for asking me to contribute. Thank you very much for all of your contributions to fandom. And again, congratulations on two years. Bye. I totally relate to what she said. It's happening and it's not fun because I know I've been back through the chapter a few times now. And like, I think we talk about it objectively in the podcast and, you know, we're able, oh yeah, and this happened and it's just very casual. But when I actually look at the chapter and think, oh my God, this is happening and it's not fun. Like that's exactly, I feel punched in the gut every single time I look at the chapter. I mean, I <laughs> I was not on that team where they were like, no, Aaron is not going to do this. Aaron is not going to do this. I was like, yeah, Aaron is definitely going to do this. So, But even with that, it must be hard to see it. I mean, is it not? For you? I mean, no, for me, because this is exactly what I expected, and I could imagine the gruesomeness that came with it, hence why I was so always against the rumbling, and I guess that's why I was happy that we finally got this chapter, because this made the rest of the fandom see, you know, when they were pro-rumbling, like, it's kind of shit in it, so <laughs> that's where my appreciation comes from, you know, the people who didn't really think of the reality of the situation finally got punched in the face with it this chapter. They did. Isayama did not hold back. Nope. Our next submission was from Vlax, who is a colorist for the SCNK project and also an avid Zeke fan. And Luna, you'll appreciate this. He's also in your time zone. So another <laughs> uh, GMT plus two or whatever. I the, uh, think so. Cause I think I recognize the accent. <laughs> So let's give a listen to Vlax. Hey there, this is Vlax from the SCNK Coloring Group, and these are my impressions about Chapter 131. To start it off, my rating of the chapter 
is a solid 8 out of 10. It's basically 130 part 2, which I'm quite happy about since we badly needed more rare and PoE. Uh, what I like most about this chapter is the sense of dread and just sheer terror you get while reading it. It's like one of the most disturbing chapters we've had in a while in my opinion. It had moments like Eren crying because of his guild, Ramsey and Halil struggle to not die, Innocence being crushed by the Colossals, like in the pages where Kid Eren is basically reveling in the destruction caused by the rumbling. It's all very disturbing stuff. I enjoyed the Eren and Ramsey parallels, and it was quite nice to see more of Ramsey. I think he's quite an interesting character in his own right. And yeah, another parallel, a big one, which was brought up once again is... Reiner Aaron, and I think we finally know exactly what Aaron was talking about in the basement during the festival, uh, during their little talk there. Aaron was constantly talking how he's the same as Reiner, in the sense that they both had no other choice than to do this. Basically, Reiner had no other choice to, than to break the walls. Aaron had no other choice than to destroy the whole world. But Reiner refutes him by saying that he had a choice. It was never about his environment or history or anything like that. He just wanted to become a hero who everyone would respect. And the walls fell that day because Reiner wanted that to happen. To which Aaron responds by smiling and saying they're basically the same. Which would lead me to believe that the rambling is happening because it's what Aaron wanted to happen. And this pretty much only gets more and more confirmed during this chapter. He was disappointed when he learned about the outside world being inhabited by humanity. He wanted all of it to be wiped away. It's basically as he said in this chapter, he's doing it to save Eldia, but it's also more than that. He wants to be the freest person in the world. And for him, true freedom is, as we saw in this chapter, the outside world he imagined in Armin's book, but free of humanity. So basically, uh, the rambling is, in my opinion, happening. Mostly due to Eren's shortcoming as a person, and uh, in part to the history that Eldia and Marley share. But yeah, other than that, I'm pretty happy that we finally know what's the site that Eren mentioned in 121, when it's basically the rumbling. And but yeah, this chapter, the ending of the chapter was quite cool. Armin and then interacting was something a lot of people wanted ever since 125, and I'm happy we finally got something out of it, you know? Something which I found quite interesting was the bird page right at the end of the chapter. Is Aaron actually the bird? <laughs> Who knows? Anyways, I'm hoping that we get some more Historia and the return of Zeke in the next chapter. I really enjoyed um, Flax's comments. There was a lot there that I agreed with. Same. And me too, Flax, me too. I also want to see Zeke and Historia again. I want to know what's up. I want to mention that 131 Colored, the SCNK's chapter 131, is available, and we'll link to that in the, um, in description, the description of the yeah. YouTube video. And Vlax, I think, did, I know he did one of the panels of Aaron and Ramsey. He might have actually, I should probably check this before I say it, but I <laughs> think he might have done the one where Aaron apologizes to Ramsey. Oh. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. The whole chapter looks amazing. But I've said this before, but seeing those panels colored just hurts that much more. And I want to just give general kudos to the entire SCNK team, as always, for being able to like stomach what they see and coloring it. I don't know how <laughs> they did it. I mean, the panel of Ramsey getting crushed. I don't remember which artist did that one, but 
it couldn't have been easy. I mean, I, it's uh, it's a panel that's been going around, so it's at least very much appreciated within the fandom. I can't wait to see the rest of their work for the upcoming chapters, especially now that Isayama's art has been, you know, improving and he's doing these full two-page spreads. Like, they can go wild with that with those, I'm guessing. And now that his art is getting cleaner, I'd be curious to find out if it's getting easier for them or if it's actually making it more challenging. Like he's, you know, you've got better stuff coming in, which means like the impetus is on making even better stuff than they've been doing coming mm, out of it. So true. it would be interesting to find out from Vlax about that. <laughs> same, same. Yeah, we should definitely have him on. I really liked his thoughts on this chapter. Not to mention easy scheduling. <laughs> and um, the final person who sent in a clip was Link Spooky. Uh, Link Spooky also sent in a guest application and mentioned that her favorite characters are Aaron and Reiner, and especially the way they are foils for each other. So that caught my interest, of course. And I want to add, too, that Lynn Spooky is a popular meta writer. Mm-hmm. Writer. Listen to me. Writer. Writer. <laughs> I want to mention. <clears throat> I want my to mention brother. as well. <laughs> I got to stop. <laughs> I want to mention as well that Lynn Spooky is a popular meta writer on Tumblr. And their blog has just... A lot going on. If you enjoy their comments here, I definitely urge you to check it out. We will link to it. They wrote a post this month about Aaron's, I always get this word wrong, dissociation, mm-hmm. which got a lot of buzz, a lot of people talking. I shared it in the podcast Discord and got some feedback there as well. Anyway, definitely someone worth checking out if you're interested in reading meta discussion. And I think Linspooky's entry is probably the most unusual that we've gotten. Okay, well, let's listen then. So usually I prefer writing because when I'm writing, I can at least pretend to have a personality. And when I'm speaking, I'm revealed for the monotonous, soulless existence that I am. But I thought it'd be fun to record my thoughts for the chapter. So yay. The biggest thing about this month's chapter is that Aaron is having his everyone shall love me or die moment. I should probably explain what that is because it's a thing that I just made up. To give an example, before I was into Attack on Titan, I was really into Tokyo Ghoul. The main character, Kaneki, has a lot of similarities with Eren. People who are into Kaneki tend to stan Eren. But Kaneki has this moment where everything he was trying to build just sort of falls apart. And he admits to himself his own suicidal urges. And he phrases it like this. This time, do something that will make everyone love me. It doesn't matter if it's a good or a bad thing. And after that, I'll die. That's why I want to die in style. It's a cool line. But basically what it means is Kaneki wants to be important. He can't imagine himself having normal relationships with people, so he sees himself in these very dramatic extremes. He just wants to do something and feel like he's done something, because that's the only way he can see himself as someone that matters to other people, by doing things. He wants to do the thing. It's Kaneki and Eren are compared because they have the same base character, which is Shinji. Everything in anime ever is an Evangelion reference. And everybody deep down inside is really just Shinji Ikari. Shinji is like the introverted male lead protagonist. And like, I know Eren doesn't seem introverted 
but he pretty much is. His angry personality is pretty much a front, and he keeps all of his real thoughts and feelings to himself. That's why none of his friends ever seem to understand him. They just sort of understand the image that Aaron projects. Back to Shinji. Shinji is also a character who, after getting in the giant flesh suit, which is actually a cyborg robot in Shinji's case, but in Eren's case, it's a titan shifter. But they both get in their robots and decide at one point to hit the switch on the button to destroy the world. And they do so for similar reasons. When we go into Shinji's head, when he flips the switch to destroy the world, he's not really thinking logically. He's having these very, they're more desires than they are logical thoughts. They're, well, it's pure id, like emotionally driven, driven, I'm desire thoughts. One of these things he expresses is nobody wants me so they can all just die. Nobody loves me so they should all should just disappear. And the response to that is, then what is your hand for? And then what is your heart for? And that's one of my favorite kind of couplet lines in anime, because it's just such a pure sentiment. Shinji's inability to form connections with other people makes him start to wish everybody else would go away because he can't ever see himself as being important to other people. In the case of all three of these characters, their trauma makes them kind of self-centered and really entitled. And a lot of people see entitlement as being the result of spoiling, but also traumatized characters can develop entitlement too, where they feel entitled to be important, entitled to have some sort of control over their lives, entitled to be, you know, happy. And if they can't have it, they'll try to take it from others. So you have these three protagonists who all just sort of want to form basic connections with people, but feel like that's no longer an option for them. So they settle for being important. And that's what Aaron is trying to be. He doesn't want to be the little boy who watched uselessly as his mother died and his entire life crumbled in front of him. He wants to have control over his own life. Doing this ridiculously stupid stunt, as in destroying the world, makes him feel in control. And yeah, it's extreme, but like, if a person is unable to form basic connections or empathize with even the people around them who love and support them, they're probably not going to be able to see why they shouldn't kill thousands of people en masse. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's a story and stories are like that. And that's the kind of person who would flip the switch to destroy the world. He doesn't really do it for a cause or for any good reason, but he does have reasons and they're very small and petty, but they're also human and relatable reasons. And I think that's why people are so bonkers for Aaron as a character, because he's just a little tiny boy. <laughs> I I feel like people would have a lot of comments about that. Uh, yeah, because like I agree with parts of it and then I disagree with parts of it. So but it's an interesting take, at least. Also, spoiler alert for Tokyo Ghoul. And Evangelion, if you haven't seen those. Hmm. I, I, you know, everything is an Evangelion reference. I almost <laughs> agree with that. <laughs> I mean, I think I had heard Aaron and Shinji compared before, but maybe not that way. But yeah, I, I feel like if we, if we get to have Lynn Spooky as guests, there's going to be quite a few angry rage listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Luna, I was just thinking... A lot of our guests don't like Aaron. I think maybe we are 50-50 here. That's true. No, that's not true. Stop slandering the <laughs> our guests. <laughs> I mean, we keep having Jaegerists on and people who are pro-Aaron and pro what he's doing, but like, 
as I'm listening to these submissions, like we haven't had one person going like, yay, Aaron. Well, yeah, he's, he's genociding everyone. This is not this chapter to go, yay, Aaron. Come on. <laughs> we, I know, but we, we might really We might get anyone. some yay, Aaron chapters, but this is not the one. <laughs> okay, well, let me put it this way. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're frustrated by the views of our of our chapter impression guests, then just stay tuned because Humble is in the next half and all of the Aaron supporters are in the next half. And, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot more conversation about Aaron's motives that's entirely different from some of what we've heard. That I will say is true. <laughs> yes. Well, do you think it, that, do you agree with like Aaron wants, wants to have control? I don't. Yeah. Do you? No, I don't think so either. I mean, like, I can understand this saying of like, well, you know, from trauma, he felt trapped inside these walls. And then, you know, the, the Titans came and just were responsible for the death of his parents. And he just wants a world free of all that where he can do whatever he wants and discover whatever he wants and not be limited in any way like he used to be as a kid. So I, I do get that part of her explanation, but I don't think he wants to be important or wants to be in control of everything. And I also disagree with the fact that he cannot form bonds with people. I think he very much can. I actually agree can, with so. that. I, really? That part, yep, yep. Oh. Because I think about early, early on what we've learned. I don't remember if it was supplemental information or it's actually in the manga at this point, but that Aaron <laughs> had no friends. Like he literally had... Armin, because Armin was in the doctor's office all the time, and he had Mikasa because she came to live with them. But other than that, he was not able to form friendships. He was just too different from the other kids. And so okay, I think but he found his people. He found yeah. So he wasn't friends with the kids because they were all fine with the way things were. And then Armin, Armin was the one who introduced him to the outside world. Mm-hmm. But Armin and Aaron were also friends of convenience. They were two people thrust yep. together. I think that must have been supplemental information because I don't I'm sure it was a that. smart pass. If yeah. I find it, I will. I'm almost positive it was a smart pass story. But I tend to put some credence into those because they are blessed and they are given the official blessing. Okay. But I, I also. Okay, well, don't let's see. say that's true. Let's, let's go with the. Let's just say for argument's sake that it, that's canon. Mm -hmm. Does it really matter all that much that, you know, just. Because they spend a lot of time together, they became friends eventually. Does that make their friendship less real or it less doesn't. strong? It doesn't. But my point is that it does add, like, it takes a lot to become friends with Aaron. Aaron doesn't <laughs> make friends easily. You know, you pretty much have to be locked in a room with him to start to appreciate him. <laughs> I mean, I look at John Kirstein. Like, he's another one who begrudgingly kind of likes him now, but it wasn't you know, there's nothing natural about a friendship with Aaron. He's just too out there for anybody to truly appreciate. Oh, I think Aaron made plenty of friends later on when he joined the the recruits, the 104th. And I think, you know, he bonded with Ramsey quite quickly. He bonded with uh, Falco quite and quickly. Then, and then he tried to kill both of them. I, I mean, know. How well, you yeah, <laughs> true. But I mean, he can have those bonds with people. And I think right now, post time skip, I do agree with um, Link Spooky that he is more introverted at this point, but it's also because I think he wants to push people away and he doesn't want to have those close bonds. 
Because it will just cause more pain? I thought, I'm going to listen to Lynn Spooky's comments a few more times. Like, it's something I really want to listen to. And <laughs> okay. My Tokyo ghoul knowledge is very superficial. Like, I know who I don't have any, is. And so. I read, I read the first series, but I never, I never got into Re or whatever the one that came after that was. So I, I'm definitely mm. lost as to what his eventual development was. But I do get the connection where, I mean, Kaneki's just another kid who was trying to be good and stuff just, you know, bad stuff just kept happening to him. And if by the end of the series, he eventually threw in the towel and became a monster, I wouldn't blame him because when life just continues to slap you down, eventually you get tired of it. So anyway, I, I would like to, and I'd like to talk to Lynn Spooky more because listening to that four minute clip, I am intrigued. I am intrigued. Huh. You made me think about Osamu Dazai. About what? Japanese author who was like, very suicidal, and then uh, wrote like his uh, Magnus Opus right before he committed suicide. I don't know that person. No, okay, so, well, his book is, one of his final books, like, um, was indeed based on his life, so it's called No Longer Human, and he's just, um, there's the the um, Gikuk, and um, what was it, the Anime Man, and... Uh, sea dog or something they have the, this anime podcast and you know Gikuk was explaining it like he just keeps get, taking L after L after L and that's basically his entire life and then finally things start to look up and then bam nice life uh, knocks him back down again yeah I know how it ended in real life for the author I haven't actually read the book yet so I uh, I don't know how it ends but it doesn't end well That that I do know I just want to bring this up because you were like, well, you know, life keeps knocking them down. You were saying that and you wouldn't blame them for turning into monsters. But it's like, well, there's also the other the opposite side, you know, the other mm -hmm. route they could take. But instead, they want to like exact vengeance on the world. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's two types, right? Those that give up and those that dig in. I don't know if it, if we can say it's in those extremes, but I think in terms of like writing a story, those are probably the two more interesting routes to uh, explore. Mm -hmm. All right. Next up are the outtakes from our very first recording session, which included Puppet, Leslie, Renan, and Nitaku. Okay, you have to explain to me, Momtaku, why were these clips left on the cutting room floor? Well, because our podcast was already over three hours long. <laughs> True. And enough <laughs> is enough. But I still felt like the clips were worth sharing. And, you know, when we have these conversations, it's kind of fun to, to share, you know, what else went on. So in this first clip, I think it's important to know that, like, Puppet and Leslie support Aaron unconditionally. They are both team Aaron on this. And I was just curious. I was wondering how they reconciled kind of that contradictory nature that we're seeing in the character now. So I asked them that question. Let's listen. Do you think any part of this is Aaron being an unreliable narrator? I would say no. When I mentioned that Aaron's thoughts are the new basement, that's because we hadn't had his inner thoughts in a long time. We just had to go by his outer actions. And so there was a lot of theory crafting interpretation that was very valid on what his end goals would be. Like even, like you couldn't trust what he said out loud. Like most of what he said in chapter 112 was a lie, we now know. But now that we are 
getting his inner monologue, like most of his thoughts at the start of the chapter and Marley about killing them and being sad about it, that's inner monologue. And there's not much reason he would lie to himself in his own brain unless you get into like a brain control theory, which I don't really support. What about you, Leslie? Did you? I think it's similar. I think it was either one, two, two, the Ymir one, or I'm not quite sure the other one, but it was one where Aaron was talking about something himself. And we had the same conversation or the conversation was about in the in Discord and other places where it was like, is Aaron really telling the truth? How are we sure he's like being honest about this? And it's like, he wouldn't lie to him. If it's an inner monologue, I don't think he'd, there'd be a reason to convey it like, oh, he was dreaming and he was like, stuff up. I think he's being genuine in his reactions there. I just look at it from a different connotations, like his childish glee about his, his view on freedom. And as the puppet said, that being based on like his trauma, mm-hmm. you know, prior to that and all that, like he's traumatized. So his childish view of freedom being trapped in those walls, he's using it and expressing it uh, in all his violent forms that he has right now. So I feel like, yeah, he's being honest. So this is the real Aaron. He's not being controlled. He's not being manipulated. This is Yamir. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said last podcast too that I've never understood Aaron and I'm sure not going to start understanding him now. So I'm really glad that we have people like Puppet and Leslie to share their opinions. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it would be boring if we would just talk to people who had the same opinion as us all the time. (laughs) So is it Amir (laughs) or not? That was, I love that. (laughs) And who knows if Leslie means that? Like he's his favorite emoji. (laughs) No, but his favorite emoji to use in the Discord is the one of Zeke running away, and it works. (laughs) Like every time he'll say something like, you know, "Haha, it's Ymir," he'll do that icon, and it's like I never know. Like if that means is he kidding? Is he? He says like sometimes the most inflammatory things, and then he'll use that icon, and it always makes me smile. Like. He could say anything he wanted, and then he uses that little icon, and I'd be like, ha-ha, that's so cute, you know? <laughs> okay, the next clip is super, super short, but I just had to include it for people who know Renan, because Renan. Like, I don't even know how else to say it. <laughs> okay. Renan is the most vocal person I know when it came to complaining about Chapter 126. He spent an entire month on Discord with his uh, username being Renan Pie Apologist, and every conversation with him, I don't care what you were talking about, if you were talking about the weather, if you were talking about a puppy video, <laughs> he would end it with ha ha pie. So it led to the next moment. Let's give it a listen. Okay, now I have a question just for you, Renan. Now that Armin and Annie have actually talked. Like, better? Worse? 126 is a shit (laughs) chapter, and nothing will change that. Oh, well. I mean, I I can't say I disagree. (laughs) He's not wrong. (laughs) So, (laughs) A very interesting take on this chapter as well was one we got from Nitaku, because Nitaku, if you've heard him on our previous podcast, has been very critical of Isayama. He just complains a lot. I know. People were asking, like, does he even like this manga? I was like, well, he edits the wiki. I guess so. (laughs) But finally, we have found the one chapter that Nitaku actually likes. We're going to let you listen to the audio as evidence. 
did this change your mind about anything in the chapter? Were there any uh, any revelations for you? Not really revelations, I guess. Uh, I thought I thought it was sort of implied previously that Aaron, everything Aaron's doing is sort of being influenced by his visions of the future, and this is this was confirmation of it. And I I did like sort of the reveal that he's sort of struggling between trying to reconcile his own morality with the fact that he knows he's going to do this in the future. Like it, it sort of seemed to me like there's part of him that's not ready to accept that this is something he's going to do, but it's also something that he knows he sort of is just accepted as going to happen at some point in the future, even though it's obviously something he's not, it's obviously something he's not okay with him doing. I don't know if I'm expressing myself correctly right now. It's a hard chapter to explain. Like I'm having the same issues where I don't know. Like I, I still don't. Well, this did give us a lot. I still feel like I don't have a grasp on Aaron Yeager. Like I was happy to see the emotions too, but I just, you know, with the real Aaron Yeager, please step forward. It's hard for me to kind of put all of them <laughs> together into one person. I feel like it does sort of give you a bit of a grasp on him, but it's it's definitely like after I had sort of digested the chapter and I started thinking about it in context of everything we've seen from Aaron, I'm really interested to see what sort of pushed him from feeling very guilty about everything he's doing to sort of where he at where he's at now or where he's sort of talking about the outside world like they're less than animals I, i'm interested to see if it if there's something that got him to that point or if that's sort of just something he's if it's sort of like something where he's trying to distance himself emotionally from the people outside and he's trying to convince himself that they're that they're all evil by sort of classifying them all together as sort of this one evil entity. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've asked this of everyone else. Let me ask it of you. So scale of one to 10, how do you rank the chapter? This is pretty high. I'd say this is one of the better ones from the final arc. I'd say it's a strong like eight or nine out of 10. Wow. More towards eight, I'd say. Okay, so this is the lowest one we've gotten so far. Everyone else has been nine and ten, so. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's a really good one. Like, I'm not going to argue that. I, I, and I really appreciate that we're actually getting to see a look into Aaron's psyche now. We don't have to guess at what he's thinking anymore. My last question for you is, what debate on the Wiki Discord is this going to make it easier for you to win uh i i actually i'm not sure i haven't really been doing much debates about aaron since they all go sort of in circles at a certain point so i sort of stay away from those okay so this doesn't do anything to help you uh in the wiki world the wiki debate world it doesn't do anything to help me aside from the fact that it's making me appreciate aaron's progression as a character more now because i'm getting to see the steps that he's the steps that were taken in that four-year time skip. So it's more like one less thing to complain about. If you want to describe it like that, <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> where is Moses Braun? Where, where, why is he not saving the, the kids? Why is he not try, out there trying to stop the rumbling? Where is listen, Moses Brown? Listen, Moses knows that the people of the outside world need to appreciate their lives. So they need to... They need to see the rumbling happen for a bit. Then he will swoop in to save them. They'll be like, oh, man, we were this close to dying. We appreciate living all the more now. Like, he is he is teaching them a lesson through this. Hmm, okay. 
Listen, it takes a lot of effort for him to part the Red Sea or whatever <laughs> sea Aaron crossed. I don't know. I don't know the geography of this fantasy fictional world <laughs> thingy. Well, let's hope that he uh, comes back along with Colt sometime before the end and Freckled Emir. <laughs> You're dreaming if you think Isayama remembers Colt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, was there anything else you want to say? Any rants or, you know, the usual? Shaddis the Chattis. <laughs> That's about it. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why does Neat make me laugh? <laughs> I know during the recording session, I was so confused by Neat's initial comment about loving the chapter that I was, like, worried that he'd been abducted by aliens. <laughs> so it wasn't until he, like, you asked him the follow-up about Moses Braun that I was for sure that we had, like, the real Nitaku <laughs> talking to us. I was just so confused. Like, it's so weird for him to go, yeah, this was a good chapter. I was just like, wait, <laughs> what? What? Finally, Isayama accomplished the impossible and satisfied Nitaku. Yes, at least mostly. All right. Well, shall we take a break? Yeah, let's, uh, let's take a break. And uh, afterwards, we're going to come back with everything that was left on the cutting room floor from the second session, which I did not attend. So... I'll probably have a lot of thoughts on some of the things that will be said there. So stay tuned. Welcome back. As mentioned, these are the clips from session two, which included, I would say, the Aaron optimists that we've had as guests in the past. The Humble Servant, Teton Yeager, uh, Saflora, and Rune Lai joined this group as well. Rune Lai is another of the wiki admins and somebody whose thoughts I desperately enjoy. As we said, you were not able to be a part of this one. And a humble was especially mourning that fact because I know you and he, when it comes to your ideas, are like oil and water. I think I might even have a clip of him wishing that you were there. But let's start with the first clip. Now, this one uh, was after Rune Lai gave her chapter impressions. And Humble was curious whether or not Rune Lai thought that Armin might be able to use child Aaron to stop adult Aaron and whether or not Armin and Paz would be important. So let's go ahead and give that a listen. Okay, so actually I had a comment about uh, Aaron being a child, but in the present. So me and Puppet were actually uh, talking in voice chat the other day, and he had a really good theory that I liked. And he said that maybe Armin uses childhood Aaron to stop big Aaron. And uh, of course, Arenan was there, and he immediately pushed back. He was like, well, how's Aaron going to stop Aaron? And so the rationalization is is that Aaron as a kid hated seeing Titans kill other people and if he would see that a big Aaron is doing this uh, he wouldn't understand why he would be doing it and so he would fight back against it so I was just wondering your thoughts on what you think about maybe possibly Armin using uh, child Aaron to accomplish his goals of stopping Aaron 
I agree that childhood Aaron would find adult Aaron's actions as reprehensible because Big Aaron is being a bully. Big Aaron is terrorizing people. Childhood Aaron really, I mean, he would go after boys. He wasn't successful, but he hated boys because they're always picking on people like Armin. I don't know if Armin has the capacity to reach out to child Aaron because if Armin could talk to the childhood Aaron, he would. But I just don't know how that would be accomplished because Armin has not been shown to have any capacity to reach out into the paths himself. Yeah, the idea would be that once Armin is able to get into contact with Aaron or whenever the Alliance actually gets to Aaron, they would be able to somehow communicate with them, whether it's Aaron bringing them into Pat's realm or some sort of magic going on because anything's possible with Pat's. Put that way, I mean feels a bit like an ass pool because it's it would be like well we don't know how this works so we'll just kind of like make it work and if if we go into that sort of hand-waving territory i could see it happening but i don't think that's supported with what we know so far okay so you believe that it was not established in this chapter that child aaron was speaking to armin in that circumstance or do you think maybe it was a flashback I do think that was somehow childhood Aaron talking to Armin. I'm just not seeing Armin and an Armin scene in return. I'm just thinking that it's more Armin is receiving. I don't think that Armin can necessarily pull childhood Aaron on his own. I'm not sure what happened there, but I feel Armin is more the passive observer and the communication is more one way because childhood Aaron does not react to Armin. He does, he's not like, why are you an adult? <laughs> but uh, Armin does receive childhood Aaron. Yeah, I took it like that too. Aaron is definitely the one in the control in this. He's the one pulling people in. He's the one dismissing them. He's the driver of the paths realm. And, you know, I think if child Aaron chooses to bring them back or bring them in at will, he can. But, you know, they, they certainly couldn't go there unassisted or without his will being the driving force. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was just wondering if you think if if this dynamic is real, the way we're all seeing it, if it was possible that Armin could use this opportunity to stop Aaron, or if or if, if if this plot line that we just learned in this chapter was part of how they stop Aaron. And actually, based on that, do you guys think Aaron will be stopped? I do think Aaron is going to be stopped because if we try to look at Attack on Titan as like the entire series like we were going to sum up the entire series in one line uh, or one or two lines it probably would not be young boy grows up to be the destroyer of the world and succeeds that's probably not the story that isayama is trying to tell so i think I, i i don't know what that story is yet because we don't know what's going to happen in the end but i don't see this ending with aaron totally destroying the world because it seems to me like the wrong message to send. Aaron knows what he's doing is bad. He feels bad about it. He's doing it anyway, but it's not the thing that a good person does. So I don't think that you can really justify an ending where the world's just everything other than outside Paradise Island is destroyed because it, it feels like a pretty crappy place to live afterwards. I mean, every, <laughs> and most people on the island would also feel very bad about it. I'm with Rune Lai on this. I, I can't say that this is the end of the manga. I, I just felt like it would be that balance of cruelty and beauty. And right now we're just seeing the cruelty. I'm glad you guys think that uh, Aaron will be stopped because that's also what I want. But I, I don't want Aaron to 
you know, die a villain. No, I don't either. I think I told you guys, like, uh, Luna's listening back to old podcasts, and she has dinged me 40 times for my hope that Aaron would be the hero of the story. And it's like, <laughs> she's making every time she listens to a podcast, and I say that she's marking it down and being like, ha ha, look at you. Oh, you have a vindictive partner. <laughs> she had one moment in the chapter 117 podcast where she thought maybe Reiner and Aaron would team up and work together. And yeah, that's her clown makeup episode, apparently. But mine is my clown makeup is on from like, we started in 107 all the way through last month. I can understand not wanting your favorite characters or good characters to die. But I, I feel like most of my favorite characters have died at this point. So I don't care anymore. <laughs> I kind of accepted that they were going to die when we learned like, oh yeah, when you become a shifter, you only have X number of years to live. And I was like, okay, no one's getting a happy ending at this. All right, I'm ready now. That's pretty much true. I always love listening to Rune Lai talk about the series. I think, you know, not only is she just incredibly smart, but I think that that wiki nature, she's, she bases most of what she says on what the manga says. This is how it's been presented. This is what we know so far. And she never really gets into that like really crazy, you know, speculative part. She probably has speculative ideas, but she keeps it very much a kind of a stricter view of the series. So I enjoyed what she had to say to Humble and how if this gets very hand-wavy at this point, I mean, sure, Isayama can go there, but, you know, kind of an ass pull at that point. I loved Humble's remark about saying, like, I don't want Aaron to die a villain. I don't either. I, I still don't. <laughs> I mean, there's no going back from this. No. He might not die as bad as he is now, but he's not, he's not going to die a hero. That, that's, that's one thing I'm sure about. No. There, I mean, I think we all know he can't die a hero at this point. Do we all know? Do we? I I assume most of us know that he's not going to die a hero. Well, you and I, yes, but... <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd say most of our guests, too. Okay. That ship sailed, for sure. Now <laughs> it's more just, can he not die a monster, I think. Mm. True. In this next clip, Rune Lai actually questions Humble a little bit. You know, knowing that he's such a fan of Eren and knowing that he's very optimist or would like to be optimistic, what kind of ending would be a good one for Aaron? So let's listen to that. I think this chapter was really good for Aaron fans because it, it sort of solidifies our perception of him, even though he realizes and we realize that what he's doing is the ultimate evil. Can I jump in with a question? Of course. I agree with uh, Aaron's reason for disappointment. And you said this chapter was very good for Aaron Band. So I'm, and you mentioned earlier that you didn't, you were afraid Aaron wasn't going, you're afraid Aaron is going to die and you don't want him to. So out of curiosity, what do you, like for a good ending for Aaron, one where you, you feel happy for him, what would that be? So Aaron was always the hero that we followed since the beginning and it sort of changed somewhere along the way. And I feel like he's fallen from grace. He's He's no longer the hero, and he doesn't justify anything he's doing right now. You can call him a villain. I don't really like that term here, but we can use it. The best 
thing I can think of that can happen for Aaron is for his friends to save him. I want his friends to stop him from doing what he's doing, stop him from committing this act, which is not good for him. And we know that the best ending would be that they stop him, but he doesn't die ultimately at the end. He's somehow redeemed from having fallen from grace. But knowing Isayama, that's probably not going to happen. Or maybe he does get redeemed, but is uh, killed anyways. And that would that would also hurt really badly. So. But I'm actually really hopeful. And I think this, this chapter shouldn't be perceived as uh, bad for Aaron Fenza as I think most people are perceiving it to be. I feel like you're on an island of maybe too humble. <laughs> 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 Just judging from like my inbox and my interactions. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Th- th- that's why I really wanted to come on uh, was because like <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of Aaron fans are disappointed. And I, I actually... In the beginning, I kind of was. It, it, did, it did hurt to see Aaron completely, you know, fall from grace, you know, not become the hero that we wanted him to be. We were probably demanding too much of Aaron at the time. I think this is a very reasonable for him, and uh, I, I really hope he comes back from this or, or, or is saved somehow. It's kind of interesting that you point out that concept of Aaron's not become the hero that we had hoped he would be and that maybe we were putting too much on him because I feel like that's also true of so many other people in the universe, in the, in the story, like diegetically that they put all these hopes and dreams, especially Levi on Aaron being able to save him. And he wasn't able to fulfill those. I think that's just really, really true. And in like an important piece of who Aaron is as our, main protagonist in the story. I should mention that the last voice in that clip was Teen Yeager's. She was listening in on that as well. So what do you think, Luna? Was this a good chapter for Aaron fans? <laughs> uh, well, I feel like the diehard Aaron fans who didn't want him to do this hated this chapter up on the first read. And then went right back to like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. He'll be, he'll, he'll get redeemed. He's not as bad as it seems. I promise. <laughs> like, I feel like Saflora and Humble and I think also Heidi uh, were like, oh God, I, it, this was an awful chapter. It hurt me first. And then they kind of came around to it later on. I mean, I can get, I, I can get hoping for redemption. I don't know that salvation could happen at this point. Or I mean, redemption, no, but at because least I love not how- die. I think what we're hoping for is not dying a villain. Or wait, there's no, no. way he can't not die a villain. He's already yeah. a villain. Period. He's a villain. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so not like at least maybe change his mind a little bit. Yes. Realize that stopping. there that there was like another way and regretting his actions. I would be pleased if it ended like that, and that's all I'm asking for at this point. And I really think that that's all the Aaron fans or the, it's so hard to use the phrase Aaron fans because there are so many, but I think that's all people like Humble would want as well is just for Aaron to have a conversion of some sort. I don't, I didn't get that. I, 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 when Humble was talking, I was just. (laughs) Okay. Well, Humble's hope Humble was like, Aaron can live and and he will, and he will be good (laughs) and he will be redeemed and he will, everything will be fine. Yeah. He killed a lot of people, but as long as he doesn't do the full genocide, he is a good boy. (laughs) Well, okay. Mrs. Cult 8 Zeke and is probably still alive. (laughs) Let them have their fantasies. Uh, okay. <laughs> At least I admit what an idiot I am for saying that. <laughs> mm. 
Like, I don't even know if we should play the next clip then. So the next <laughs> clip actually happened at kind of the end of our conversation. I think it was actually the second to last conversation we had before we killed the recording. But Humble was feeling a little upset because it did seem like Aaron hate was rampant, that, that everybody was hating on Aaron. And, you know, I pushed back a little bit about whether or not that was true. And then, of course, we got into the conversation, is Aaron a villain? So let's listen to this clip. I also hate that Aaron gets a lot of hate uh, from the fandom. Just because, like, I'm so mad at Marley right now that they just left those guys there to die. They didn't try to help them or tell them, hey, times are coming. They had so much free time. I feel like there's a disproportionate hate given towards Aaron when there's so much more to hate about, like, society in Attack on Titan and how everything's structured and, and all the bad stuff that we see. So, I guess I'm kind of removed from the general fandom reaction. I don't, I don't know, like, how much hate's been given to Aaron and how much people are like cheering him on or how much people are just like, I just want to be able to sympathize with him and I still can. So that's good. And Yeah. This chapter this month, uh, Aaron's support is still extremely high. So I don't think humble, you need to worry about like everybody hates Aaron because when I look at the chapter, Paul, I see the exact opposite. I see like people just, I see just the, the unending support for Aaron Yeager, regardless of what he does. How did this chapter affect your views on Aaron? The highest chunk of the pie is 40%. I still support him. Nothing changed. 8% changed their mind about him. They supported him, but now don't. Only 8%. 20% no opinion at all. They punted completely on the question. <laughs> that was and me. 30%. Yeah, 30% do not support him. So, Humble, you're in the largest chunk of the pie there in your support of Aaron. Yeah, and I think... Uh... I'm hoping a lot of those people uh, have similar views as me as they support Aaron. I think I did use that as my option as well. Like I support Aaron. Uh, Aaron knows what he's doing is the ultimate evil. He acknowledges that. And we're hoping Aaron is safe from doing this to himself and others. So yeah, we're, we're hopeful. The one that really surprised me was regardless if you feel positively or negative, negatively about Aaron, do you think he's being portrayed as a villain? 57% said no. Wow. They do not think he's being portrayed as a villain. Only 30% said yes. I mean, honestly, that's a pretty fair perception. If you consider, like, typically in media, the villain is usually framed differently. But the way Isayama's been framing Eren is very, like, it's back and forth, you know, depending on whose perspective it is. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, really hard to to pin, like... The reason I say Aaron, personally, I say Aaron is the villain is because he is doing th the evil act. I still support him as a character. I'm still interested in his evolution and storyline and whatnot. But like other characters and other stories who have done the same actions were framed as a villain. So that's why he's in that bucket in my mind. But it's not entirely clear. To me now, he's become like a Magneto type who you understand why he's doing it. And very sympathetic, but still. Yeah, like cool motive, still murder. <laughs> the yeah. other one that I thought that Humble doesn't agree with is we asked people to rank his motivations and his idea of freedom. Overwhelming people think that it is his idea of freedom that is the most important. And then his friends, his friends are of secondary importance. So that surprised me too. That is very interesting. I think separating those concepts is actually very difficult. Just like I think ascribing uh, a title as villain to Aaron is also actually a very hard thing to justify. 
Piazza, do you think he's being portrayed as one? Is he being portrayed as a villain at this point? Yes. Well, I, actually, I think that's a pretty hard thing to uh, supplement. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, heroes and villains are uh, subjective, right? And so, like, of course, we think what Aaron is doing is evil, but there's so much evil being uh, perpetrated by a lot of other different actors and even competing actors. I think uh, hero and villain are subjective terms, even in the Attack on Titan universe, in which it's hard to say, like, is Aaron a villain to, let's say, Marley? Like, yeah, that's true, but Marley's evil and so we don't like them either and so like you know as ascribing hero and villain to i think when you're asking the fandom that it's it's like um well i wouldn't say aaron is a villain he's doing uh, very evil actions and i think there's a lot of universal understanding there but it depends on how people perceive the question i think his actions are being unequivocally portrayed as bad but just the words hero and villain kind of have connotations of certain archetypes that he doesn't really fit either way. Maybe if we asked if he was being just portrayed as a um, antagonist or as a, I mean, maybe if we changed yeah. the words around a little bit, people would have swallowed antagonist or one of the other words more than they swallowed portrayed as a villain. Because I, I feel mm-hmm. like he is being portrayed, whether he is or not remains to be seen, but certainly the portrayal is bottom line is the fandom is still hugely, hugely sympathetic of and supportive of Aaron. So I don't think anyone who's worried that everybody hates him, I think everybody's disappointed. That's what I got from the poll this month. People are horrified and disappointed, but they're not ready to give up on him yet. No, and as they shouldn't be. I mean, after 131 chapters, it would be hard to give up. Yeah. We've been with Aaron a really long time, so it's it would be really... I would. I, I think it would be a detriment, honestly, to the whole story if by the end Aaron was just like, "Oh, he was a throwaway character this entire time." You're like, "What? No, that's that's not right." So, yeah. The very, very extreme ends of the fandom: those that like think he's absolutely the hero, fifteen percent, and those who hate him, fourteen percent. So, even like the fringe, fringe fandom, there's still more people that consider him the goat versus the devil. <laughs> So yeah, don't don't worry, humble. Your guy is still loved. I'm glad. <laughs> there was a lot to unpack there, I'm sure, Luna. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> it was indeed a shame that Humble and I weren't able to discuss this during the recording. Oh, okay, where to begin? I love in the beginning that Humble said that. He was mad at the Marleyans for not telling the refugees that the Colossals were coming. Like, how can everyone be so disproportionately mad at Eren? When the Mar- <laughs> <laughs> for genociding everyone. But then the Marleyans didn't warn the refugees that they never liked anyway. <laughs> like, I, it's bad. It's bad. Don't get me wrong. Well, they should have warned them, but it's not on the same scale as what Eren is doing. I just, I'm sorry, I have to laugh at that. And then um, Teton Jaeger actually had a a good point, which was actually the same point I had, and I hadn't listened to this clip um, before we recorded the the main podcast, which is that a lot of people don't see Eren as a villain because he doesn't quite fit the common description of what a villain is. So I have to agree with that because, you know, he's a lot more complex than your ha 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 
I'm going to destroy everything and everyone. Ha 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 ha. Kind of. Even though the end result is the same. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So for humble to say that it's pretty hard to label him as a villain. I mean, if you cannot label someone who is killing every person in the world outside of his own people as a villain, I don't know what else you can do. I mean, you can okay. Even that, like, art, you can argue the motives, but, like, even if you look at that, it's it, this is just a, a very villainous act. And I'm not saying, like, Aaron has always been the villain or villainous. He's also done heroic things, but at this point, he is a villain. Well, and my pushback on what I didn't mention this in the podcast or when we were recording it, but mm. you can't even say he's being good. Like, yes, he's obviously the villain to... Marley, because he's killing everybody, but you can't even say he's being good to his own people because he's destroying them too. Like, you know, the walls falling down, crushing a percentage of people. And then how can you say he's not being a villain to his friends? He's certainly not being a hero to Armin Mikasa, no. you know, anybody in the Survey Corps or anybody who has any stake in the outside world. And there's going to be nothing to explore. There's going to be ecological damage like i don't see how you can't how you can say he's being a hero to anybody this isn't two sides this isn't you know oh he's being good for the people of parodies i'm not seeing that in the story he's being bad to everybody this is what i said when el aaron was selfish because he is right he is chasing freedom for himself but only for himself his version his version yeah and maybe also for you know maybe a bit for arbin or at least kid aaron is but like no, this is this is not freedom. And in fact, he is robbing so many people of everything. How can you, how can you justify this? In I I yeah, I I don't know what to say. Well, I was glad to get Teton and Saflora in that just to kind of help me to understand why some people are so reluctant to use the the V word when it comes to Aaron <laughs> right now because it really did baffle me as well. So talking to them listening to their perspectives as people who definitely love this character, it was actually really beneficial. So I appreciate appreciate them having these secondary conversations. And the poll did close, and those numbers really didn't change at all. I mean, no. anybody who's worried that Aaron is at all losing support of the fandom, it's just not true. Our next clip is sort of a sweet moment from Humble. I really hope Humble still feels the same after he listens to this podcast. Let's give it a listen. I'm just sad uh, Luna isn't here because when I'm listening to the podcast and she's, you know, railing on Aaron, I'm just going to be pulling my hair out, <laughs> not being able to respond. But Luna and I were talking about that today. Like we were talking about just other podcasts that we've listened to. And, you know, I did wonder how many people like just rage listen to us. <laughs> Humble, I apologize that you have to rage. Listen to us, because I'm sure there are times that you are just ready to like, you know. Oh, oh no, uh, I actually, I really love the podcast. I listen to it every month. And uh, I also wanted to wish you guys a happy two-year anniversary. It was, oh, it's, it's, it's been, a, yeah, I've been listening for a long time now. And it's, it's, it's gotten me through uh, a lot. So I'm really happy. Okay, Humble, I hope that you still have some hair left on your head after listening to this bonus episode. <laughs> Luna, do you feel bad after everything you've said after listening to that clip? I mean, I, I agree with him. It would have been more fun to, you know, talk together about this 
month's chapter. But I stand by everything I said, and I'm sure he does as well. So I'm sure. I'm sure he does. I, I don't let him stress me out too much. I hope uh, he doesn't let me stress him out too much as well. <laughs> well, I feel like knowing Humble as well as we do, you can feel pretty confident about that. Our next clip is Teton Yeager. And for those who don't know Teton Yeager, she was a meta writer on Tumblr way back in the day who wrote a lot of theories that actually came true. So I took the time to ask her what she saw for the ending of the series. Let's listen to the clip. Do you have any predictions? I don't mean to put you on the spot <laughs> like that, but certainly can't waste this opportunity. Yeah, no problem. I like that's what I that's one of the things I enjoy doing with the media that I engage with is I enjoy seeing if I can predict based on either the writer's understanding of characters or like typical storytelling devices, which is what I've always used in my writing. So my prediction for how we're going to see this story unfold is that I do believe that Definitely Armin, maybe Mikasa will somehow be able to communicate with Aaron, likely in paths. And we're going to get that conversation between Aaron in this childlike state of mind and the two adults who have not been able to help Aaron through his traumas as much as they probably thought they were. Um, and I think really hoping we're going to have that conversation, have some sort of reconciliation where they, I believe they will convince Aaron to stop the rumbling, but I do not believe it will result in Aaron living through the experience. I do expect Aaron to die by the end of it. I do expect most of the world to still see Aaron as the villain, but at least those closest to him will have had that ability to to talk him through and have that reconciliation between them and the end. The only thing that is up in the air that I don't know if I can accurately predict is we do have that frame of see you later that's still hanging there. And I do think there's going to be some twist of something Isayama is going to pull with how everyone ends. Like, I don't know if we're going to ultimately end with everyone in current time standing amongst the remains of the rumbling. I think we're going to have something that kind of changes the setting where everyone is in. But I'm not entirely sure what it is yet. Yeah, see you later, Aaron. It's gonna happen. There have been some moments in this series where I've just like, I've lost my breath at just how how incredible it was. And I'm waiting for see you later, Aaron, to be one of those moments where I'm just gobsmacked. Yeah, I'm actually kind of wondering if Aaron, it, you know, it's been hy hypothesized before that like, there is some type of time jumping or time changing or something mm -hmm. like that. Like there is a part of me that is expecting to see like they convince Aaron to stop this and he realizes he has this ability to make this major change. So somehow he is able to reset all this, but also change something in such a way so that the events will unfold differently. That's kind of where I'm expecting that to wind up. But it's just one of so many different possibilities. There are a lot of different ways it could still go. So what did you think about Teton's predictions? Yeah, I, uh, I'm not really sure what I, how I feel about her predictions. What do you think? I, I mean, it's kind of what I'm thinking too. So I, 
again, you know, there's, I appreciate most what she said is that that's one of many ways it could go. And I think with Isayama, I basically gave up guessing <laughs> because there are, are just too many ways it could go, but it's an ending that I would be okay with. It's, um, uh, I, <laughs> I feel you guys on the Isayama part because Lord only knows where this is going or if it's even going to end soon. What if he keeps going? It, he can't keep going. <laughs> <laughs> You'll fly out to Japan and like hold him at gunpoint, like finish this now. I need my life back. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it definitely feels like, like this could wrap up in five chapters. Although, although, although okay. that's actually a lead in. <laughs> although that's a lead into our next clip. So while I would like to think that this series is dropping, <laughs> our final clip uh, is actually Saflora talking about all the leftover mysteries. And I'm going to go ahead and just mention that this clip runs about 20 minutes. Saflora talks about what is year zero? What happened with the Warhammer Titan? What about those Fritz and Tiber people? And it ended up being just a really interesting conversation about threads that are left to tie up. And I just thought it was worth including because I personally enjoyed listening to it. So we'll just leave you with this clip, and we're going to go ahead and end our involvement with the podcast now. We hope you enjoyed our Chapter 131 bonus episode and the conversation that follows. As always, thank you for offering your hearts and your ears, and until next month, bye-bye. Bye. And I also just want to take a minute to, you know, remind everyone of a few things that are still kind of mysterious, <laughs> you know, questions that have not been resolved. Uh, and this is not an exhaustive list, but just like still turning over in my mind, like, when are we going to get those yams? So first of all, we need to see the scene where Grisha gave the serum to Aaron. You know, he shows scenes from multiple different angles many different times. And this is one that we've seen a few different times from a couple different angles. And I think we still have another angle to see it from. Aaron kind of invited us to wonder about that in, I think it was chapter 121, right? Where he was talking to Zeke, like kind of taunting him with like, oh, you haven't even seen me, our old man yet. I think we're supposed to be thinking about what really happened there. People are still wondering why Grisha decided to give him the serum, right? So there's something there. Still mysterious also, for what purpose did Amir lead Aaron to her? And why did Aaron seem so confident that that is, in fact, what happened, that he was being led there by her? I'm the only one, apparently, who wonders about this. But what happened in year zero? I want to know that. Like, what are we dating year 845 from if her message was from <laughs> 2,000 years ago? Like, what's what's year zero? What was important there? But I don't think anybody else cares about that. So, And the Warhammer Titan still is so mysterious to me. Like, it seemed like Aaron was intentionally going after the Warhammer Titan when he initiated the Liberio attack, even though he didn't know how its powers worked. So I want to know what the deal with that is, why he seemed intent on getting it, what happened to him when he ate it, because his eyes did a thing when he ate it. And kind of in that same vein, what's the deal with the attack titan, like as an entity? Like, how do titans work? There's still more there. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm pleased that there are still mysteries. I'm encouraged that we are going to get an interesting, if a painful, ending. I can accept that Aaron is not going to be the hero of the story. I'm glad that he didn't try to offer justification for his actions. And I still think that it's more complicated than what we've been presented with. So that's my thoughts. 
So it sounds to me like you don't think this is going to wrap in three chapters. It's hard to see how it would, but Isayama has his plans. And if, if he can wrap it in three and uh, give me everything I need to like, have my questions answered, then I'm, I'm fine with that. I just don't see how it would be possible. You're, if you're asking if he's going to finish it in 2020, uh, doubtful, maybe early 2021. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not good at predicting that kind of thing. When you mention all the mysteries that are outstanding, it makes me wonder too. Yeah. So Flora, man, you pointed out like so many really good things that I'm like, yeah, <laughs> what about that? Right? Like, that's such, so really good. Like, I, I have also wondered about like the Warhammer Titan. Aaron uh, obtaining the Warhammer Titan's powers seems like it was so throwaway. Right? So, like, are we going to get more on that? Like, it would be a real shame to have this huge momentous moment and then, like, it was just a throwaway, which, you know, Isayama's done stuff like that before and it's disappointing, but I'm hoping I agree with you. I want to know more about that. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm so glad. Um, it's, it's hard for me as somebody who joined kind of late to notice where threads were dropped earlier and, like, what kind of things people were anticipating being built up more that just weren't. Can you give me like some examples of, of that? Emir, not OG, but the one that, that, that Krista slash Astoria knew. I know a lot of people were really expecting more out of her character for her uh, to come back in a later arc. And then she died off camera. So yeah. That's, yeah. To me, that's one of the earlier things where people were expecting more and nothing more happened. I am still <laughs> expecting more. So just to say that is the moment where a thread was dropped okay, and had narrative significance. Yeah. When you think about in chapter 51, as Armin is writing, as they're writing away, the narrative even hints that, you know, nobody knew why she was doing this. Like there was this yeah. big moment and nothing. So yeah, he has done it, that one. The other hint okay. to it that he like completely forgot about it to me too was that when he was when it got translated into the anime, they pushed her explaining her backstory up really, really far. Mm. And it, oh, that's like, right. it's just a shame. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a good example. Were there any others, Rinlai? That's the one that stood out to me too, but with your wiki work, you probably might be more encyclopedic in your memory of all this. Actually, the one that I really like that Sephora brought up was what happened in year zero? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, to yeah. me, as like a wiki person, it's like, yeah, there's no year zero in our timeline. What was this major event? <laughs> and I actually went to the wiki trying to figure that out. And I was like, wait a minute. There's a big gap here. Yeah. What? What's going on? So thank yeah, you for no your very valuable work. Oh, thank you. <laughs> The thing is, Isingham has done a lot of world building. We've, we've seen, like, he's got this back, elaborate backstory, other countries, these, like, the what actually happened versus what people believe happened or what they think happened. Mm -hmm. But for some strange reason, there is no year zero. We don't know what this calendar is established on. Yeah, what was the big world-changing Jesus moment or whatever? What's the current era? Yeah, I had originally wondered if, like, the year zero was, like, the year OG Emer, like, got the Titan powers. But we, it hasn't been really explicitly said yet, so it is still kind of up in the air. 
we have to you 2000 years ago and then 834. And yeah, yeah. there's like, hello. Yep. I hate to ruin the moment a little bit, but like usually uh, year zero is probably when they started recording uh, data and years. And so like uh, like BCE before the common era, when they start recording dates properly, uh, they go, uh, they go, uh, so uh, that, that would be year zero and they would go forward from that. And then anything in the past is uh, like, uh, like BCE before the common era, before they start recording and it would, it would just be past events. You know, it would mostly be deal with how, how they kept track with uh, recording history. And I don't think it has to be something significant. It doesn't have to be, but that's kind of how it works in our world. And so it made me think that that might be how it worked in this world as well. Right. Otherwise, Isayama just picked an arbitrary 834 to start the story, which, okay, maybe. Yeah. He could have picked an arbitrary number because it's like, okay, this sounds like a good date, but it's just... As a writer, I mean, I could see picking the number and then maybe later in the course of world building, adding a reason later on. But it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like he ever did. Mm-hmm. Especially when 2,000 years is also stated as something important. I mean, if, if yeah, it, if, if he wasn't going to make it a big deal, then this should be, it shouldn't be 834. It should be 2000 or, or 1998 or, you know, some, some number that correlates more to the other big number in the story. Maybe that's another thing that gets dropped or was never important in the first place. Does anybody have thoughts on the Warhammer Titan since we were talking about that a little bit? I mean, other than the the disappointment that it seems to have dropped off, I mm. I kind of wanted it was, it was like further back. I mean, not just like the war why Aaron got the Warhammer Titan, but I just kind of expected the Warhammer Titan to be more of a character before disappearing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Especially since the Tiber family and King Fritz are, you know, such important pieces in this puzzle. Right. And I mean, I haven't given my chapter impressions yet, and I probably will, you know, after Luna and I discuss all of these. But the fact that Aaron's rage is, I know Humble doesn't think that it's against the people outside the world for existing, although that's the most popular option in the poll right now. Like, it's not their fault that Aaron's in a cage right now. It's really the Tiber's and the Fritz's fault. Like they're the ones that agreed yeah. that this was what should happen, not the outside world. Um, and the outside world benefited from that for sure, that they were, you know, suddenly given power that maybe they didn't deserve or had not earned because the LDNs in charge at the moment thought that their own race was too terrible to continue mm. un, uh, without restraint. So I'm also like, okay, you know, Willie Tiber's family, his ancestors, Lady Tiber's family, they're the ones that made this decision. They're the ones that helped to orchestrate it along with King Fritz. Right. As we're speaking about this, that that strikes me as like another drop plot thread. Willie had a plan, like he, he baited Aaron into going after him. So this was obviously something he intended to happen. But we don't know what the end result it was that Willie wanted to happen. Did he expect that his sister would get eaten? And if so, why? Yeah, there's there's a lot there that could have <laughs> happened. Yeah. Right now, I'm wondering, because there's a lot of uh, inspiration in this story from Germanic lore. I mm-hmm. mean, Emir was the 
in Germanic lore was uh, the death of Ymir is what Odin and his brothers used to create the world. And as I'm sitting here, I'm I'm wondering if like there's some maybe some hint there, and I'm not entirely sure because I'm not completely familiar with that. But one thing that struck me is that we have the character Willy Typer, we have the character Aaron. Um, they sound very similar to the names Odin and Vili, which are two of the three brothers in the store in the the main creation myth so i'm just i'm i'm wondering if he's going going there somehow there's going to be like a some he's pulling something in from that and that's going to give us more hints as to some of the world building that we are still obviously missing as we're discussing here because we're definitely missing a lot from from the tibers and you know, their motivations for what they've done. Yes, I love it. Guess who's going to waste so much time today reading about Germanic lore? <laughs> it's me. Yes, join me. <laughs> you, two would be, you two would be dangerous together. Ah, let's do it. Let's combine forces. <laughs> yes, this sounds great. <laughs> but I don't know, just reading that scene. Okay. Okay. And here's another weird theory of mine. You know how I do. Um, I feel like it's, it was kind of intentional for the Tibers and the Fritzes to like physically separate themselves from each other. Like it, it, for some reason it was important that the attack Titan and the Warhammer Titan and the founding Titan were separate. Um, like this is 100% pure speculation, but this is just like an idea I had um, because seemed so intent on like it seems significant that the three of them were reunited just based on how avidly Aaron went after the Warhammer Titan and like I, I didn't catch this the first few times that I read that chapter like with the Liberio attack but it, it's weird that he popped out and ate Willie like he doesn't do that to people he doesn't eat people but he ate him as if he was assuming that he contained the Warhammer Titan and that that was his goal. Um, and we know as later in that battle, like he's figuring out, oh, so the Warhammer Titan has this like control pod that's separate. Oh, and it can make weapons. Like he didn't know how it worked, but he was going after it anyway. So it must have been for a different reason other than like the, the hardening or like um, creating weapons or the distance thing. You know, I think one thing that this chapter did give us was that Aaron had a memory shatter with the moment when he kissed Historia that we have not seen. Mm. He saw the site. He saw Ramsey. Maybe there was something with the Warhammer Titan there. And I wonder if that's the moment we're missing. Maybe that's the moment we'll get. Is that possible? Maybe. Yeah, it is possible. Anything because possible. he talked about Ramsey as being a boy he'd seen in the future. So mm -hmm. he saw it at a memory that we've not seen yet, along with the site and maybe at that point that Warhammer Titan. That's so interesting. Uh, if you consider, right, the like recombining the Titans, when OG Emer died, she was cut apart so that her children could eat her so that they create, they then had these multiple Titans. 
what if some piece of the puzzle is putting that all back together? Exactly. Because that also fits in the original Germanic myth. When Emer died, Emer was torn apart by Odin, Vili, and Ve to create the earth and the hills and the heavens and the seas. So maybe that's part of the puzzle. Yes, I love it. My brain's exploding and I love it. Yay! Uh, yes! (laughs) I've heard that before about Aaron trying to combine all the other Titans, but then that would result in him eating Armin, and then I feel kind of bad. (laughs) I don't don't think he needs to eat all the things he needed to combine, like, these three specifically, and I think maybe it's because they're, like, the three, like, head, like... When Ymir was first split, she was split into three parts, right? So there are like three Titan lineages, and they kind of like rejoin those lineages or something. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think there is something there. I think it, there may be because like the the concept of threes is like a continuing um, theme in Attack on Titan, mm-hmm. right? You have the Shiganshina trio. We've had the the uh veteran trio like there's always the three trio, walls coming the three daughters the three yeah. walls. Mm-hmm. you know the theory that he had to eat all the titans never made sense to me because there's been too many times he could have eaten reiner or um you know he didn't seem like those were the targets so i like the idea that it was these three specific titan powers uh that were needed to be rejoined so i think there's more credit to that more merit to that than you know him trying to eat all of them Hmm. Uh, Aaron didn't actually try to eat the Warhammer Titan initially. Like he he told Mikasa to like attack, and she tried to kill him. They thought that it was dead, and they were happy with that. But then it was still alive, and they were like just trying to fight it off. And mm-hmm. eventually, it led to him eating it. But I, I don't know if he initially planned to have eaten it. You know, okay. I think he was fine with just killing the Warhammer. Gotcha. How did you bring that up? Yeah, I remember that they were trying to kill it first. It wasn't originally a capture. Okay. I just yeah. wonder why he went for yeah. Willie and, like, ate him. Yeah, it's I, better to eat than not. You know, he did talk to Hanji about how getting that power was significant and mentioned it to them. I wonder if that was just maybe to frighten Hanji into, you know, I have this extra power now, you can't control me. Or if it was, I have this extra power now, this was my plan. Like I didn't get either of those vibes or I, that's not true. I, I couldn't tell which way that conversation was going. Mm. Yeah. When the Warhammer Titan first appeared, Aaron just beat it up and tried to kill it. And then out of nowhere, the spike comes out and then he tells me to kill it. So I think uh, uh, it's hard to say one way or the other, but uh, I don't think uh, it was necessary for him to eat it. It just kind of happened. And this kind of goes back to like uh, determinism. I think like Aaron was kind of testing fate throughout his like life like you know uh he was okay with dying he told Piek to like shoot him he knew that he was never gonna die i feel like aaron could have dodged that bullet that gabby shot him with but he didn't and he's still alive so i feel like he tested fate a little bit and in this chapter he kind of does too with saving uh ramsey uh but but yeah i think uh it's all it's all really interesting i really like the story Mm. when you mentioned you know standing up to Piek and Gabby shooting at him and everything, that speaks to me more about his belief that the future can't be changed. Like, he's so confident that what he's seen is what is going to come to pass, that people won't shoot him. He doesn't have to test her. He's just that confident that 
the future is set in stone. Yeah, I think he did try testing earlier, but later on, yeah. like by the time they, he's confronting Peak on the fort, he's already de- he decided that the future can't be changed. But when he does uh, a save Ramsey, he has this comment about how the future doesn't change. And he seems kind of like when he brings Ramsey back to his the refugee camp, he says the future doesn't change. And it sounded like he was kind of disappointed to me. Like he had hoped by saving Ramsey somehow he would see a different future, and he was disappointed that it uh, there wasn't a different future. That's a good point. Yeah. 